um, brain injury survivors is you have to be adaptable, <laughs> you know? Well, and that's, that's, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was thinking about how I didn't record this thing properly the first time. That's exactly it. I mean, you just have to, you just have to roll with it. You just have to say, mm-hmm. I, I, you can't, you can't get upset at yourself <laughs> because right. it's, yeah, believe me. <laughs> it's useless. Okay. We're our worst critics as well, so that's one thing to be aware of. In the event that I can't edit this later, uh, we should probably start acting like we're on a podcast. So this <laughs> is the My Zen Brain Podcast. Number five, I think. Number Yeah, number five or number six. I think it was number five. But anyway, and I have my friend Richard Mudo. Richard is with the Brain Injury Alliance of Rhode Island. Brain Injury Association of Bra- Rhode Island. Sorry, okay. Association okay. of Rhode Island. And he is, I've been friends from afar with him for a couple of years now uh, when I first hatched this idea. And two or three years later, uh, here we are doing the interview that I always wanted to do. So welcome, Richard. Thank you. Great to be here again. <laughs> so the last time we started, well, um, I allowed you to introduce yourself. So uh, can you do that again, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Richard Muto. I live in Cranston, Rhode Island. I'm an Aquarius. No, <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> have to find the humor. Um, well, basically, last time you asked me to basically basically explain um, how I came about to have a brain injury. And I basically talked about how everything had been going fine, uh, actually really well. I had a really good job, paid really well. I was in school again on the dean's list. I was playing piano on the side professionally. My uh, partner uh, and I had bought a house together. Everything was going really well, but I was having dizzy spells. And um, I went to the HMO that I had in my medical situation at the time, and they told me I was congested and gave me pills for vertigo. So I went to my previous doctor and paid um, out of pocket because he wasn't in the system. And he listened to me, sent me for to a um, neurologist who did an MRI. And the MRI showed I had 25 small bleeding blood vessels in my brain. So we washed them for uh, six months. And then within three days, I had two, consist- two um, very large bleeds on either side of my brain. So at that point, they hooked me up to the gamma knife and uh, closed off 27 bleeding blood vessels. And after that, I had to relearn everything, how to read, write, fold blankets, tie shoes, turn faucets on and off. I'm also a um, textile artisan. I weave, I spin yarn, I knit, um, I design and create clothing, um, construct clothing. I had to relearn all of that as well. I do calligraphy. I had to relearn that. Um, I lost the ability to play piano, but I can still compose. I just can't play it. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> so. It's interesting that you say that, uh, that you, you, you can compose, you just can't play it. Right. If I try to play it, if I sit at a keyboard, I might get like two bars in, and then it's as if I never sat at the keys in my life. Um, and it also sets off seizure activity because the entire brain is being used when one's playing the piano. And so um, everything starts bouncing around looking for the pathways which are no longer there. We talked about this a little bit the last time, and I told you I, I, I bought that uh, digital piano um, oh, yeah. that, that I've had for a few years now. Um, and I bought it after I saw the, it was a TED Talk by Anita, I'm not going to remember her last name, but uh, the TED Talk was about essentially how playing a musical instrument is like a jubilee in your brain because you're you're activating uh every different part of your brain language recognition spatial uh spatial awareness time i mean every and so i bought it because i it that sounded like something that would stimulate my brain but it sounds to me like too much stimuli can be a very bad thing well <clears throat> well thing is Brain injury survivors quite often get a lot better than they were at the uh, beginning of the injury, Um, but it takes a lot of hard work. Coming back is a slow, incredibly frustrating process. And so um, 
reteaching the brain, reteaching other sections of the brain to do what the damaged section can no longer do. It doesn't just happen. You have to show it how to do it. So you have to constantly do what's not working, basically. So if the left hand is not working, you have to use the left hand until the brain realizes, oh, there's a left hand there and starts using it. However, in the 17 years since my brain bleeds and my uh, gamma knife treatment, the um, brain still hasn't been able to start pathing new pathways for music like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, some things come back, some things don't. We talked about that uh, a little bit last time. You talked about the uh, the gamma knife, and it uh, it it's it's an, it's a very interesting treatment. Uh, can you tell me about that? Because tell me, give me a little bit more detail about uh, your brain your brain bleeds. I mean, what 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 sparked you to go to the doctor to find out that it was going on and and. Uh, what was what did the doctor say? I mean, they, did they say you you know admit yourself to the hospital now or how 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 did it go down? Well, as I'd mentioned, I was having the dizzy spells. The uh, neurologist did the MRI and it showed the twenty five bleeds. They were all small, and so we, since um, they weren't really doing much at that point, we waited six months. <clears throat> One night, I was um, teaching a class in spinning on spinning wheels. And because um, there's also, I guess, bicycle spinning, but I use it. I use a spinning wheel instead. But anyway, um, I was teaching spinning, and then I suddenly couldn't feel my left arm. I could use it and move it and all that, but it wasn't there. And so the next morning, I called the neurologist. Since I'd already connected once with one six months ago, I had a neurologist to call. I was really lucky in that aspect. So I called the neurologist, and he sent me immediately for another MRI, and that showed the bleed of significant bleed on the right side of the brain. He said that was a Wednesday, that was a Thursday morning. He set me up to uh, meet with a with a uh, neurosurgeon the following week. However, uh, two days later, Saturday morning, I had just given uh, two lessons in spinning, and um, I was sitting at a friend's house at a kitchen table, and Suddenly, my I broke out in a cold sweat. Everything started getting dark. I couldn't feel my left side, and so I thought. I'm dying. I'm hemorrhaging and dying. So um, they uh, got me to the hospital. Um, well, actually, my I had two friends there, and her the friend's husband was on the computer. They had dial up. So I told them they needed to call 911, and my friends were running around the the um, table in opposite directions, going, "Oh my God, what's the number to 911?" <laughs> they were totally they were totally useless, <laughs> and we had to wait for the. Uh, husband to close you're making that up it didn't happen that way i swear to god i swear really this happened so um i had to wait for the husband to close out of everything because it had dial up um before we could like use the phone to call when we could when they got to the hospital the uh they did a cat scan and the um doctor came out and told my friends okay we've um see we see 27 bleeds two of them are significant but it's going to survive in spite of you too. <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, my partner was working in Boston. He was doing something in Boston that day, so we had to come back um, to find me in the hospital. At that time, there were only five gamma knives in the United States, and I was really lucky because we had one here at the Rhode Island Hospital, and my neurosurgeon was one of the men who invented the machine. Now. A gamma knife, they attach this colander type thing to your head. It has all these holes in it, and they block some of the holes and leave some of them open. And they shoot the gamma rays at it, and where the holes are open, the gamma, the, uh, gamma rays go through. And individually, the gamma, gamma rays are too weak to do anything. But the points where they cross over each other, that's where they're strong enough to kill cells or cauterize inside of um, okay. blood vessels and all of that. Okay. Yeah. Except, we've, as you know, we've got billions of neurons in our head, like just billions of them. They're so incredibly small. So when they shoot gamma rays at neurons and pathways and such, they're not just getting this little tiny speck. They're getting like a set A little bit size. more, right. Yeah, yeah, like a large marble size. So um, that's destroying billions of, ce of cells, you know? And if, you, if you're set, setting it at um, 27 bleeds, 
you end up with a brain that's like Swiss cheese, right. you know, which then leads to the dead path or blocked pathways no longer there, which sets off seizure activity when uh, something happens and it looks for the old pathway. Um, I had been born with these um, malformed blood vessels. They, they're called cavernous hemangiomas, and they, um, I practiced that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are like a tangle of worms or a raspberry, but they're really weak cells. And as you get older, I was 43 when it actually all hit the fan. Um, as you get older, things start to wear out and get, um, start to break down. And so they started to bleed. Um, and that's what resulted in having to have the gammonite. Um, I had two more bleeds this past summer, last August, I guess. And so we're watching those for a year. They're on my frontal lobe. And um, in September, we'll have another MRI and see if they've bled at all or if they stopped for now or what the situation is. Um, that came about last summer when I was started to suddenly forget things while I was doing them. I was like cooking something. I would turn to get a spatula. And in the second of turning, I'd forget why I turned, uh, things like that. And I have one on my brainstem, which cannot be treated. And it's in the section which which controls the heart and the lungs, and um, eventually that will bleed. And if that uh, when that bleeds again, I have like a twenty percent chance of surviving that. So, Man. so we go on, yeah, and laugh when we can. We do, we we do go yeah. on, and it's interesting because it's interesting that you said it was when you were forty years old, and when you're forty years old, your your body is pretty much in damage control. I have noticed that for myself a lot lately because of neuro fatigue and neuro fatigue. And you, you talked about that a little bit uh, the last time we talked, the, the main symptoms. Can you tell me a, lot, a little bit more about that? Okay, yeah, sure. May, um, neuro fatigue is too much stimulation for the brain to handle. It could be too much sound too much activity that we see people running around or fireworks or kids laughing and running around could be anything could be the television going on and on um, when I first started going to the grocery store after my treatment it kept setting off seizure activity because it was there were too many packages and sizes and boxes and colors and fonts and big and small and people weren't wandering around bad music coming down and my brain couldn't deal with all that stimulation and so it was set off seizure activity so it took me months and months to slowly build up a tolerance to go into the grocery store but too much of anything uh, if i have a rough day uh, at work there's a lot to do and i've been and i'm working really hard the entire day the brain gets really tired and i go home and it just goes yeah and shuts down um sometimes it happens while i'm at work it goes I was actually giving a um, a brain injury training, brain injury 101, to a group of people in an agency, I think two years ago, and they had a sign language interpreter. And when I went and I was talking about um, neuro fatigue, and I went, and the interpreter suddenly stopped. She had no idea how to do in uh, <laughs> sign language. <Yeah. laughs> anyway, but so neuro fatigue, and well, first off, also, we stuff, suffer from fatigue. Right as it is our brain uses five percent more power than the average person just to do anything that's and, it what was that that's it five percent yeah it feels like 500 percent. yeah but it feels and, like a lot more than that <laughs> exactly yeah yeah but we we need to sleep a heck of a lot a lot more the brain can only repath around damage when we're asleep and so usually when a person it has a fresh brain injury they find themselves sleeping a lot i was sleeping 20 hours a day for the first six out for, for the first six months eventually got it down to 18 hours then 16 hours um but after a rough day i can easily sleep another 12 to 14 hours that night and then add that add to that the neuro fatigue also we tire so much faster we just don't have the stamina that we used to and um there's another thing Oh, our sleep patterns change as well. Quite often, we either sleep too much or not enough. Either way, that makes it really difficult for us to function uh, on the whole as well. Yeah, um, the sleeping, the sleeping too much, that is something that I'm. Well, I guess it's something that uh, we all have to wrangle with um, on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, I've gotten to the point where almost 
almost eight hours to the time I fell asleep, almost eight hours exactly, I wake up completely of my own accord. And that, wow. does, that doesn't necessarily mean that I've got enough sleep. That just right. means that right. my, internal, my internal clock says eight hours, time to get up. Because I have had it before where I wake up and then I'll try to be awake and then I'll lay back down and suddenly another hour has gone by and I don't even notice. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot to manage when one has a brain injury. There's a lot to it. And as I mentioned, some things can get better um, and some things uh, still remain a challenge and then we have to come up with tools to work around those challenges. Sleep is one big issue that is really difficult to manage because sometimes no matter what, we just cannot keep our eyes open. Could be in the middle of doing anything and we just cannot keep our eyes open. But if we're going to go and join friends for something and suddenly it hits, we can't keep our eyes open. It becomes frustrating for everybody involved and especially for the um, survivor because a lot of our life has to stop because our symptoms take over right. and we have no control of it. No, no. And, uh, I mean, even today, I mean, I, I went down to uh, my friend's cabin yesterday and I spent uh, probably about five hours with their, their daughter has uh, cerebral palsy and uh, I'm, I, I do respite care for her. And I was, I was down there for about five hours yesterday and we didn't do a whole lot, but I mean, it was a 45 minute drive down, 45 minute drive back. And then, you know, Working is working. I mean, yes, right. d yes, different activities obviously require different levels of energy, and we were just, you know, playing a board game and you know just uh, fussing around. But it was, it was. I mean, I had to be on the ball. I, I had, you know, I was on the clock, so I had to. Right. So today, I woke up and I had the eye doctor at eight forty-five, and I was exhausted when, when I wake up. When I woke up. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure I snapped at the uh, woman that helped me uh, when I was there, and I feel really bad about that. I should probably apologize to her. Um, but uh, I I came home from that, and I, I crashed for another hour, an hour and a half. And yeah. I, again, like, I just, I woke up, and it was just my body saying, no, we're not, we can't. Exactly. I mean, just look, look at the fact that, um, you spent 45 minutes driving right? and then you spent another five, 45 minutes driving. Mm -hmm. Then you spent a certain amount of time being alert, like really focusing and being aware of what the uh, person was doing, how they were doing it, what they needed. You were focused. You used your brain for a very long amount of time. Your, your brain was like on for so many hours. Right. And when you get home, it was like... Oh my God, <laughs> you know, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, it's natural. That's what happens with us. Oh, there's something I was going to mention and it's, it's gone. Sorry, That's okay. brain injury. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we talked about the, that, about yeah. that a little last time about, uh, and I think, she, I think she actually chastised for chastised me for it, uh, years later. But when I first had, uh, my surgery and I was first recovery, uh, my mom always joked that, uh, well, look at it as well. All you got to do is say, uh, you know, brain damage. Sorry. Yeah. And, you know, it was a get, it, it was you know, like a get out of jail free card. But 16 years later, uh, people get sick and tired of hearing that <laughs> excuse yeah. over and even though it's just as valid as six months after you had brain surgery, if not exactly. more. Exactly. And the thing is, um, I encourage everybody to first off, educate themselves as much as possible about their brain injury. Talk to as many other people with the same type of brain injury as possible. Get as much information from them. Join support groups because that's a great way to exchange information with people, to learn about their injury and your injury and compare notes as to what the brain does. Secondly, educate everybody around you as much as possible. Um, and don't, I mean, I, I don't mean like, oh my God, it's a brain injury again, <laughs> basically. <laughs> calmly explain okay this is one of the ways my brain is affected by the injury um i mash words together so um rather than saying donkey and and uh monkey they'll come up well actually those are too close together right. <laughs> like donkey and giraffe it might come up uh with your monkey <laughs> you know is that um, does that qualify as, as aphasia um 
It, yeah, it's okay. one. They're like three different types of right. um, communication issues, and that's one of them. Yeah, um, I, I that was a lot of fun when I was going through that because <laughs> nobody had a clue as to what I was trying to say. <laughs> None of the words made sense. Right. You know? um, so I was old enough to remember Jimmy Durante. Who basically, it was like he would say, "I'm moiderizing the English language." So, um, <laughs> language is. It's not consistent because you'll have good days and rough days. There'll be good days and bad brain days, as I call them, where no matter what you want to say or do, that it just doesn't come out. You know. The the analogy I always use is uh, it's like driving a stick shift. Um, some days you can you can get into fifth gear and you're cruising on the highway and you you feel fine and you're processing everything just fine. And some days for, for whatever reason you can't get out of second. Right. Exactly. That's perfect. Completely. And God only knows where reverse is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Let alone neutral. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, so sometimes neutral is the safest place to, to be. I want to talk about, uh, excuse me, I want to talk about adv advocacy a little bit because um, we talked about advocacy a little bit last time and there's there's advocacy and then there's also self-advocacy and um i uh have been versing myself in self-advocacy under the same umbrella would be self-care and mm -hmm. i always kind of had this i i didn't like the term self-care because it just sounded too too soft too like oh god like self-care really so i came up with another name for it which is nuts and bolts it's just yeah. it's it's just tending to what your body and your brain need uh and sad to say but screw everything else uh because you have to take care of your brain otherwise you're no use to anyone exactly exactly you're running a lot <laughs> yeah. um that's part of the brain injury yeah i, I, um, I understand well, let me, let me go back to advocacy for the moment. Okay. That's all, folks. No, um, <laughs> when I was treated with a gamma knife, they stopped bleeding and they sent me home. That's because my brain injury is called, is um, under the umbrella of acquired brain injury mm -hmm. uh, rather than traumatic brain injury. Traumatic brain injury is when um, some outside force does something to your brain whether okay. you're hit by something you hit something something you're shot in the head whatever something out some outside force hits your head and or your brain and that could even be your brain shake your head shaking and so the brain sloshes back and forth inside the skull and hits the inside of the brain of uh, inside of the skull all around the front back top bottom sides um an acquired brain injury is something that hap that the brain does or something happens within the brain like a stroke um, a brain aneurysm, a brain bleed, um, an infection, brain uh, infection, me uh, medically induced somehow, you know, somehow it happens. The, the body does it or the brain does it to itself. I'm sorry, um, that, that, that is an acquired brain injury. That's acquired brain injury. Okay. Yes. That traumatic brain injury is an outside force. Okay. So um, I didn't realize at the time that people quite often use the term TBI, for traumatic brain injury, thinking that it encompasses all of brain injuries. You know, this person has a TBI, but they don't realize that it doesn't. It only refers to a certain type of brain injury. Rich, and unfortunately, uh, that gets into policy. And then that means that the money and all the resources go to only survivors of traumatic brain injury. And so had I had a traumatic brain injury, I might have been offered a case manager, a social worker, uh, different therapies, speech therapy. Ah, what is it? A movement um occupational occupational therapy physical therapy that sort of thing but since it was an acquired brain injury they stopped the bleeding they sent me home and that was it wow so everything i relearned i had to do on my own um and i'm lucky because i did so many different things before the injury i used a lot of that to get things back i couldn't feel my left hand for like seven seven and a half years i could use it but there was no awareness of it. Uh, it was as if somebody were behind me and they had their arm up under my arm and I would say like, touch my, I'm gonna to touch my nose and they would like touch my nose. I mentioned that 
in the shower, it was always scaring the hell out of me because I'd be rinsing my hair. I'd turn to be a hand in front of me. I would scream. The uh, cat would scutter out. Um, it was always the same thing every day. Um, and so since I'm right-handed, I would use my left hand as often as possible. I would pick up glasses of water, right. bottles. I would constantly use it. It was never, It was not always a team player. It was constantly dropping things, plates of food and all of that, but I would use it as much as possible. And after like seven and a half years, it came back um, because I taught the brain that there was a hand there. Right. And, you know, so I did all the work on my own because I wasn't offered any therapies. And I went to, I um, participated in a conference in Washington, D.C. two years ago. I met, I mentioned, I raised my hand and I stood up and I talked to some of the uh, delegates there about this issue that in the state of Rhode Island, all resources only go to a survivor of a traumatic brain injury. And then it turned out there were a number of people from other different states all saying, it happens in our state too. You know, so that is an issue that we need to be aware of. And rather than saying traumatic brain injury, TBI, or, or acquired brain injury, ABI, we're encourage, encouraging people to just say brain, brain injury, injury because yeah. that's inclusive of all. And if we can get that into policy, then half of the, um, half of the um, survivor population is not left out in the cold. Well, you know, it sounds like the, the terminology, whether it's acquired injury or... or acquired brain injury or traumatic brain injury is is just as confusing and confounding as the brain injury itself so right. uh mm-hmm. at least we can we can uh simplify one half of the process and just say brain yeah. injury because exactly. as as i mean if you've spent any time uh in the in the in the groups or in the support groups or any any of the other brain injury circles you know that uh you could have a mild quote unquote brain injury and it can uh, jack your whole life life up pretty good. Completely. There's one, I I run two support groups on a zoom, two zoom support groups at the moment every week. Um, I was running six live support groups in person in different parts of the state of Rhode Island until COVID hit. Um, In the near future, we're going to be opening those up again. So I get to travel all over the state again. Um, No, no, Rhode Island is a small state, but I'll tell you, sometimes late at night, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, Anyway, um, in the support groups, we talk about those types of issues. And the fact is, it it doesn't matter how you acquired your brain injury. It's always traumatic, no matter how you acquired it. And we all share the same issues. Okay, now granted, if you've seen one brain injury, you've seen just one brain injury, because they're all completely different but there's a lot of things that we all share fatigue no fatigue sleep disorders um loss of uh, short-term memory issues um i forgot that for a moment <laughs> um, yeah short-term memory issues um i mean on and on we can all go on about the things that we all share and then there are all these things that are unique to each and every one of us one of my fun things one of my unique things is um some survivors like me have flashbacks to the past we don't lose here and now but part of us is suddenly reliving a memory to such a point where we can feel the clothing we were wearing we can feel the humidity that was in the air at that point we can smell what was ever in the air um very minute details are suddenly there um how long does this flashback last richard (laughs) yeah it could be like a minute up to a minute. Really? Right? I mean, I I've never even heard of this I, before. Oh, yeah. I, I can be driving around, along the road and I can, I'll can i still be there aware of the people around me, the cars and the red lights and all of that. But suddenly part of, part of my brain is back in 1965 by the swing set, you know? It's insane. That is, you know? I, I've never even heard of this. This, this, yeah. uh, n- another day, a new symptom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Soon to appear in a theater near you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. The, and it's, it's, it's really interesting because there are so many things. I mean, I, when you're a young child, like four, five, six years old, you experience things and then they go someplace into the memory banks in the brain and you never think of them again. And then to suddenly have, Things like, oh my God, I wore suspenders and they had stripes on them I, and they, they were connected to shorts. And I had these socks, but the left sock was always rolling down and I didn't know why. And I can smell the dirt in the driveway and I can smell the, this odor from the, um, 
the, the garage, you know, and I, and when there's a rose bush blooming again, the roses are always um, rotting somehow. And all these minute things come in. It's like, oh my God, I haven't thought of these things in like 60 years, you know, yeah. or like 55 years. I'm only, I'm 62. So I can remember things like when I was three, four years old, they suddenly come flooding in. It's weird. Wow. No, that, that is uh, very strange. Um, and, uh, you, uh, you you were talking about something before that I wanted to touch on, um, and I wanted to kind of insert a uh, for for the viewers at home. Oh, um, so I I think uh, this would be a, a good opportunity uh, for anybody who might be listening to this. Uh, God knows how many people that might be at this point, but uh, you know somebody might listen to it in a couple of years when uh, this is blown up for me and. Uh, uh, hear this, but if you if if you if if you've had something like a, a concussion or um, something that that you don't think uh, this is this is nothing, I, I banged my head, you know. Um, but you're you're, you're in experiencing different symptoms and you have no earthly explanation why this is go to a doctor, uh, go to a neuro, go to a neurologist if you can, because yes. you may be, you may be, uh, dealing with the, the aftermath of a brain injury and, and not even know it. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right. Um, well, first off, one other thing to be aware of is not all neurologists have knowledge of brain injury. That's, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you have to find somebody who actually does know brain injury. Yep. Um, so and you, it's okay to shop around. Go to one neurologist. Mm -hmm. Go to another neurologist. Go to uh, check with different doctors. Find somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Right. Somebody who actually listens to you. You know, exactly. listens to the symptoms you're going through. Um, I had read about one woman who was having a pillow fight with her young daughter, and while they were having their little pillow fight, they banged heads. They laughed about it. They went on. The next afternoon. She didn't recognize her daughter coming out of school until her daughter said, hi, mom. Um, it turned out that just bumping her head on her daughter's head um, had affected her to the point where she couldn't recognize faces anymore. Um, and she, she didn't tell anybody. She hid it for several years. She would tell her daughter in the morning, you look so cute in that outfit. I'm going to take a photo of you and send it to your aunt Lottie because you're just so cute. But what she was doing was she was documenting the clothing her daughter was wearing on that day so she would recognize the clothing when her daughter came out of school. That's terrifying. Uh, completely. So friends would get really angry with her because she'd walk by them and not even acknowledge them. And it took several years for her to finally come out and say, I have a brain injury and this is how I'm affected. This is why I never see you or because I don't recognize your face. So something as little as banging your head on um, your daughter's head can lead to devastating effects. Um, one person can have brain surgery and after the certain amount of time, they're totally fine. One person can have a slight concussion and end up totally devastated. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Some people have very little damage and some people have everything affected. Um, and so the only thing I can say is get as much information as possible, talk to as many doctors as possible. There was one survivor in one of my groups. She was in a car accident. She was a nurse for 30 years. Um, she started crying and could not stop crying. She had all the effects, all the um, symptoms of PBA. Um, and she, every, she kept going to doctor after doctor. And every doctor said, you're depressed. You need to go to a psychiatric ward. I'm not depressed. I'm, I just can't stop crying. Another doctor, you're depressed. You need to go into a psychiatric ward. She saw 62 doctors in the state of Rhode Island. She, I, th th I didn't 62. Those 62 doctors in Rhode Island uh, yeah, of all know. kinds. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> so finally she went to a neurochronologist in Boston. And within a moment, the, doc the uh, neurochronologist said, you have a severed pituitary gland. Oh, and so gosh. as a, yeah, as a uh, nurse, she's able to give herself hormone injections twice a day. And because of that, she has come right down again. I, 
uh, I'm going to add my own story to this about uh, see more than one neurologist, uh, find one that will recognize, because at the time when uh, what I'm going to describe happened, I didn't know, for, well, first of all, I mean, I'm on a fixed income. So, I mean, I only have so much money to see right. doctors. So, I mean, I can't uh, see, you know, 15 neurologists. And so I just went to one um, <clears throat> because uh, what happens is whenever I am going to sleep uh, and I'm in that gray area between sleep and wake where you're not quite either, right. I... I, I, the way I describe it is I start river dancing. Uh, my legs start, um, of their own accord. I, I, I have no control over it and right. my, my legs are twitching, uh, and they, they will continue to do that. And it didn't start out that way. I probably went through my first, um, I, I, I gauge my recovery from my TBI a lot of the time, uh, about what happened post, uh, alcoholism and so um i for a while it just felt like my legs wanted to move but nothing would happen it was like it was like a it was like a uh the the muscles in my legs would would clench up and then release and then clench up and release and as time as time wore on that became uh, just the uncontrollable twitching. I went to a neurologist and, um, you know, it was, you know, of course it was the middle of the day and the, my, my legs start to do the same thing uh, at intermittent, completely unpredictable times and spots throughout the day. But always when I am laying down to go to sleep and I, after I went to, and so I went to the neurologist and he saw you, and he, he slapped some really generic sounding, uh, title on it. It was like routine, routine spasms or, or routine, routine muscle something. And he didn't give me anything. He didn't, he didn't nothing. And at that point I had, I was probably, I don't know, two or three more, maybe four years into, trying to regulate it with requip, you know, the, the restless leg drug, mm-hmm. uh, and Xanax. And so yeah. I was at, at that point, I was up to like two grams of Xanax every night and I was taking wow. one re, one requip at least sometimes more than that every night. And still the myoclonus would kick in sometimes, even, even with the, the pharmaceutical, uh, reinforcements and, um, some, at, at one point I read an article that I, I think I, I, I eventually found it in a couple of articles that myoclonus is the term that is used to describe what was happening to me. And, uh, one of the major causes of myoclonus is brain injury. There you go. <laughs> it, it it happens when your body just stops getting enough oxygen and so i mean i i and, and so i mean i eventually uh figured out a way to to regulate it and it it doesn't uh, bother me nearly as much as it used to um but uh yeah i mean come when it comes to neurologists one size does not fit all exactly and you brought up another thing another topic um we have so many different symptoms going on. Some get better, some get worse, some come in out of the clear blue. Um, some survivors uh, fall into um, addiction because there aren't, there aren't a lot of answers out there for the symptoms that we live with. And so sometimes we end up uh, trying to manage the symptoms with different um medications, over-the-counter medications. For the longest time, I was taking two Benadryl every night when I would go to sleep. Um, first off, one, because I'm allergic to corn, and corn is in everything, yep. so I'm always congested. Uh, second one, though, was to help me to sleep because I had such issues with sleep at that point. Um, they were just Benadryl, but it was self-medicating, and it was becoming addictive. So um, 
a lot of, not a lot, but a certain percentage of survivors do end up with addiction disorders because they're trying to manage the symptoms because there aren't a lot of answers out there to help them manage the symptoms. Yeah, well, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I mean, you know, when it comes to like trying to manage the myoclonus, it, it, it wasn't about getting the buzz from uh, right. from the, the Xanax, buzzword. you know. I mean, right. I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, requip if you take uh, two dozen of them, maybe they pack some some punch. But I mean, in my right. case, I was just taking the requip and the right. Xanax just so I could sleep. Um, right. But I'm also a recovering alcoholic, so I also have that added benefit of, gee, I like dopamine, and so yeah. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to find yeah. out ways to get it as much as I can. <laughs> right, yeah. And the thing is, though, it happens for people who don't even have um, um, addiction disorders in the past, you know? And so, um, and the, we're not doing it for any stimulation of any sort. It's just right. a way to manage the symptoms, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes doctors are willing to help and give us a handful of pills uh, in the morning and a handful of pills at night to try and manage symptoms. And sometimes some of them work and sometimes some of them just lead down a, a long dark corridor. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many factors that, that go into uh, recovery from, from a brain injury. Um, so you said, let's see, you're 62 years old and this, uh, you were first diagnosed with it when you were in your, uh, your 42 or forties. Yes. 42. Okay. We talked about, we talked a little bit about the difference in public policy. How, how has that evolved uh, since you became aware that you had a brain injury? It hasn't a lot. I serve on the uh, governor's permanent advisory commission for traumatic brain injury in the state of Rhode Island. I'm also on an advisory board for neurorestorative, which is a residential program for people with brain injury. A few, there are a few other things I serve on. I can't remember what they are at the moment. But anyway, I'm I'm always out there, always public, always um, uh, trying to bring awareness. Every time something comes up and focus seems to be TBI or the TBIs in the t- in the title, there's like a grant for TBI whatever. I'm always the the voice that says, "What about ABI?" And it should be changed to just brain injury. So I mean they. At this point, they roll their eyes. One has to constantly advocate for all survivors, constantly advocate for what is accessible and what's not accessible. We do not have nearly the nearly the resources we need in the state of Rhode Island, and so I'm constantly um, advocating to try and get more doctors, more professionals in brain injury, more uh, re- rehab facilities that focus only on brain injury. We're constantly trying to get these resources into the state. Um, I mean. After a while, telling people you have to go out of state, you have to go to Boston or Connecticut or to um, um, Cape Cod. After a while, it, it becomes ridiculous that we don't actually have what we need in such a small state. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that, and I can only speak for, um, for my state, but I don't, well, you can speak to this. So, I, and this is a question, and this is not, not rhetorical, is the... Is the staff of the Brain Injury Associations of the Brain Injury Alliance? I mean, in Nebraska, it's a skeleton crew. Um, right. Is that the case everywhere? Yes. Um, at the uh, Brain Injury Association of Rhode Island, we have um, myself. Uh, well, there's the, the executive director, program manager, a uh, fundraising manager, and myself. There's four of us. And uh, and what is your we, title? My title, my, I used to be the Education and Resource Center Manager, but now I've been switched over to Information and Resources because I'm constantly trying to build up those, the uh, information and resources for people coming in or calling us. Um, we also have a, we got a grant recently from the, the uh, Rhode Island Department of Health, and uh, the grant is to try and establish a case management program in the Brain Injury Association as well. So we'll have a case manager who can follow survivors and uh, not physically follow them. That would be stalking. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, to, 
check in with them <laughs> as much as possible and try and make sure that they're um, getting what they need when they need it and uh, connecting to what they need when they need to. We're trying to build it and find ways of getting more funding in. Ten years ago, we had a lot more money than we have now, uh, but somebody screwed up. It wasn't somebody in the Brain Injury Association, but somebody else screwed up in some forms for a grant that we were supposed to get every year. It was actually in the state's budget. Um, and since somebody screwed that up, we lost $135,000, which made it even more impossible for us to do things that we need to do. So that's when our executive director came in because she has a, a history of fundraising. You can only go so so far with the same people asking for the same money again and again. With the agency, I think is 37 years on now. We've, we've been here for 37 years. Previous people didn't, the previous people who ran the agency did not have to fundraise because they had all that money. But since the loss of that money, uh, we've had to turn to fundraising and trying to build the corporate partners and um, other sponsors and such. And we're one of, I forget how many hundreds of social service agencies are in the state of Rhode Island and everybody has the handout, they need money and money is always tight. Now in the age of COVID, money has become even more tight. Um, those who would give us money, they didn't have the money coming in because all their business shut down. And so it becomes very difficult to run programs and services when you don't have the resources at your fingertips. None of us get into this to get rich. We don't, believe me. Well, we, we do this because we want to make a difference. We do it because there's a need there. We do it because we can, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and we can't do it alone. We all have to connect with each other to help each other help as many people as possible. You know, that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast in the first place, Richard, because I figured yeah. aside from the personal reasons uh, that, you know, um, I, I think I've told you about them a little bit, but, you know, officially and professionally, it was it, it, it was it, it, it has been and continues to be and will be about raising awareness of yeah. of uh, brain injury. And I e even that word, even the word awareness at at first, I it it kind of put a questionable taste in my mouth because my thinking was I, I don't care how many people are aware of a traumatic brain injury. We need money. So if that awareness translates to donors, great. Otherwise, what's the point? But exactly. And the thing is, everybody is going to be touched by brain injury at one point or another, right? Whether it be themselves, the, spouse, the kid, the kid next door, the old man across the street, they're going to be touched by it in some way. In the United States, there are 6 million people living with brain injuries. In the state of Rhode Island, every single year, we have approximately 15,000 new cases of brain injury. One can be on a, a bus with 20 people. Most likely, 12 of them have a brain injury. Right. But you wouldn't know it because we all look fabulous. Right. We do. <laughs> so I, I personally, I, I think yeah. I look great. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I wasn't going to mention it, but now that you brought it up. <laughs> well, and what, anyway, uh, and the ahead. thing is nobody talks about it. No. That's the most infuriating thing. Nobody talks about it. People <clears> need <throat> to know when they're in the ICU at 2 AM, they need to know that first off, it's only a brain injury. It's not the end of the world. Life goes on. There are ways to get manage it. There are ways to get around some of it. Some things will get better. They need to know that there are answers there. They need to know that completely freaking out is not going to help. No. What they need is to know that there are resources there. They need to know who to call, when to call, and they need to have a game plan as to the pathway to coming back from a brain injury. Um, and there are pathways out there. Just need to have access to them, know where to go. You need to be aware that there are brain injury associations and brain injury alliances and head injury foundations somewhere in your state or in your area. You need to know how to connect with them when you need them. Yeah. Because eventually you will need them. Well, and I think support groups like the, I mean, the one in Nebraska, we, we only, they only meet once a month. Um, yeah. It'd be nice if uh, they had the resources to uh, do it uh, more frequently. But, um, you know, we, awareness of, of, of brain injury is increasing and it will continue to increase. But sadly, as I said, 
uh, a lot of it is just exposure. And if you haven't, if you don't, if you, if you don't know, if you've had a brain injury, you don't think you have, and you don't know anybody who has had their life completely turned upside down by a brain injury, whether traumatic acquired or otherwise, what do you care? Yeah, exactly. People don't care until they're actually touched by it. Right. And, and also looking at just concussions, uh, sports related concussions, for instance, we are going against an entire culture the whole you have to win it at all costs stiff upper lip keep going keep fighting it doesn't matter if you're covered with blood you've got a touchdown you know it's going against the culture how dare we say you can't play football how dare we take away the options of maybe getting a scholarship or actually getting into a professional team and making millions of dollars and i keep saying there's nothing wrong with being on the chess team you know um you know (laughs) Very few injuries happen playing chess. <laughs> One that we minor. know of. <laughs> yeah, that we know of. Bobby right. Fisher may, may may have been uh, he been may have been a strapping uh, young lad. We we don't know. Yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah, and so one has to consider that damage happens no matter what, and damage. If one continues to do something that's constantly going to damage the the brain, eventually there's no way back. Eventually, CTE yeah. CTE sets in. And they found that kids who start playing football at the age of 12 or younger always get CTE in their early to mid 20s. There was actually three years ago, maybe four years ago, a young man, 23 years old, and his mother came in to talk to me. He had been playing football since he was eight, and now he had all the signs of CTE, and he was only 23. And his mother said, had I known this was going to happen, he never would have gotten into into one of those uniforms. But nobody tells these people, nobody talks to the parents and the coaches. One young man uh, was knocked out in the game, and when he came up, they put him back back in the game. And he ended up with severe um, uh, post-concussive disorder. Um, I... I'll, I'll almost uh, be up in the ante uh, when I share this story. Um, you may you may know about this uh, person or not. Um, and at this stage, uh, I forget <laughs> where I heard it. Uh, it could have been in one of the videos or anything else. But uh, a professional surfer, I think it was in Love Your Brain. I, th- I think it was in uh, the Love Your okay. Brain, um, uh, okay. one of the videos. Uh, and... Uh, I think it was, I think this gentleman was a participant in Love Your Brain Yoga. Love Your Brain Yoga, for uh, for the folks at home, Love Your Brain Yoga is uh, started by Kevin, what's his name? I can't remember. No. I have a brain injury. It was started by uh, a young man um, who was a professionally uh, sponsored um, snowboarder and uh, he suffered a traumatic brain injury and so he started Love Your Brain Yoga um, as a way to uh, bring people, uh, bring traumatic brain injury survivors and acquired brain injury survivors into the practice of doing yoga because yoga is so good. It's so good in so many ways. Um, and for me personally, I can say that I think one of the, one of the major ways that yoga is so beneficial is because it's breathing and it's, it's deep breathing. Um, and, uh, the, the lack of oxygen to your brain, uh, and in whatever form it, that, that can take can be, um, it can be just devastating. And yeah, I was just going to say something that's going Oh well. Okay. Well, I was. <laughs> I, really I, what I was going to say, uh, and we. This is going back to we were what we were talking about before the the brain injury alliance in Nebraska is. Uh, it, it sounds like a little bit, a little, a few steps behind uh, the evolution uh, evolutionary ladder than perhaps the the uh, Rhode Island Brain Injury Association because um, we have. Uh, well, last I checked. Uh, we had two full-time resource facilitators, essentially the person that does what you do, uh, mm-hmm. and we had an ex- we have an executive director, as far as I know, and we had a part-time marketing person, but she left, and so I don't know what the manifestation of the Brain Injury Alliance in Nebraska is right now, but I do know that um, it's 
it's you put whatever resources you can towards a problem as you can. And it sounds to me like Nebraska is doing that very thing. Um, yeah. The, putting whatever resources we can, we, we can scrape together uh, towards um, the, the, the issue of, of helping people come back from a brain injury. Uh, but uh, it's a struggle. It's always a struggle. Always. And I highly encourage them and any other um, agencies out there to connect with the brain injury associations in different states because they're always willing to share information and um, pass on ideas and um, whatever else. Because, um, again, we're all here to help each other to um, get resources and information and uh, such to survivors and caregivers. For sure. Um, just one more question before we go, and then uh, I'm going to let a little bit of time pass and uh, listen to the interview, and hopefully it, it took this time. <laughs> okay. And uh, if not, I'll see you at the next one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, what, do you, what do you want people, or what do you wish people, or what's your desire, if you, if you could have one, about what you want more people, whether it's civilians, doctors, um, you know, police, uh, professional sports agents. Um, oh, the other, the other thing, uh, I, I, I knew I was going to remember it. This, uh, gentleman who, uh, was part of the love your brain yoga. He was a professional surfer and, um, he had been a professional surfer for, for many years. And, uh, he, I forget the, the, occurrence that led him to go to the neurologist in the first place but the neurologist basically told him because he was professional he was a professional surfer he had essentially suffered hundreds if not thousands of brain injuries right exactly the brain shaking inside the skull and right. hitting the inside of the skull right every single time yeah and that just just the thought of that just I mean it yeah. was just jaw dropping to me. Oh, completely. And the thing is, all the neurons have these um, this protein called a tau protein on the uh, the uh, stem of the um, the neurons. And every time there's impact, they start to loosen and then eventually detach from the neurons, and they start to collect in pockets and eventually have all this white matter throughout your brain, which is all the tau protein, which has collected in these pockets. And if you look at um, images of people with CTE and images of the brain of people with Alzheimer's disease, it's the same image and the same type of um, symptoms. Wow. And so that's what a person is doing every time they uh, participate in the behavior, which is going to make their brain go put a bump, put a bump. Um, it's going to make damage. There was, I was watching a, um, a video somebody somebody had passed around a few years ago. Back in the 70s, I don't know if they're still around or not, but back in the 70s, there was a rock group called ACDC. Mm-hmm. And one of the um, guitar players was constantly shaking his head up and down the entire time he was playing. Angus. Um, Angus yeah, Young. Just, what was that? His name is Angus Young. Okay. He yeah. always he uh, performs uh, in a little uh, schoolboy outfit. Yeah, exactly. That little cap, the shorts, and all of that. Yeah. At this point, he can't sign his name because he has so much damage to his brain from bobbing his head back and forth the entire time when he would play. It wasn't just like little bobs. It was like major shaking his head up and down the entire time. <laughs> he gave himself such a severe brain damage, literally from that, you know? Um, wow. We can go on and on and on about <laughs> trying to have a healthy brain, but you have to be aware of what you're doing, right. you know, <laughs> always be aware of the fact that every time you smack your head up and down or you're, you're in a club and you're, everyone's like banging into each other, whatever, you're doing damage and eventually the um, roasted chickens are going to come home to roost, yeah. you know, <laughs> they, the brain is one day going to go, I can't do that. I don't know how anymore. <laughs> You know? <laughs> well, uh, I will use that as uh, t- as your uh, what do you wish really people really know? Uh, what do you wish people would know or um, get verse on about TBI? Because that's that's as good of a subject as any. Get as much information as possible before you need it. That's all I can say is 
read up on it, talk to people, uh, listen to podcasts, you know, get information because everybody's going to be touched by it. So get as much information before you need it. And uh, I'll use this opportunity to uh, once again tell anybody who is listening uh, that is it, is it all 50 states? Um, no, actually, I think we have 27 affiliates of the Brain Injury Association. Only 27. Okay, well, there's yeah. 27 affiliates of uh, uh, brain injury alliances or associations uh, in um, 27 different states that we know of. Well, let me put the, okay. There's the Brain Injury Association of America. Right. They have 27 affiliates throughout the uh, United States. Now, in some of those states and in states that don't have a brain injury association, they have brain injury alliances oh. or head injury foundations. So there's always a resource somewhere. And if there's not one in your state, connect with the others in the other states. Yeah. You know, we, we can be found online, you know. Um, they all these different um, agencies can be found online. Gather information. It's like knowing the like nine one one. If you're having a heart attack or somebody's having a heart attack, you call nine one one. We want people to have that information in the brain in their mind. If somebody has a brain injury, connect to the brain injury alliances or um, other agencies or. Um, Brain Injury Association affiliates, connect with one of them, know that they're out there, and be ready to connect with them when you need it. Connect with them beforehand, get some information, learn about it, go to some support groups, listen to su survivors and caregivers. Um, support groups are always open to different people. Our two Zoom meetings um, every week, Tuesday mornings and Friday evenings, anybody is welcome. Uh, you don't have to have a brain injury to, to come to it. Come and, and listen to what brain injury survivors talk about and how they're affected by it, uh, some of the ways they manage it, um, some of the tools that they've come up with in order to uh, manage the symptoms that are still um, difficult for them to live with. Um, and I should interject here. If, if I mean, I think I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. If you have reason to believe that you might have suffered a, a brain injury, no matter how minor you might think it is, um, right. if you can correlate, if if you can correlate uh, a possible brain injury with a sudden onset of different physical or mental or emotional symptoms that you suffer from, uh, and you can't figure out why, well. Mm -hmm it's very possible that the brain injury is the culprit. So, right. And you actually just brought something else to my mind. People who are in domestic abuse situations, exactly. quite often they don't realize that they've been, um, <clears throat> they've acquired an injury. Um, they're dealing with so many other things uh, that they, and nobody stops to think, well, if you're having memory issues, you've been slammed against the wall like every day for the last five years. You've been thrown down the stairs or punched or kicked. Uh, they don't think, they don't stop to think that in addition to PTSD and all these other uh, issues that they're dealing with, they most likely have a brain injury as well on top of that. Um, a uh, majority of people incarcerated have brain injuries, right. but they would go home to drunk stepfather or the the uh, mother's drunk boyfriend du jour, and they would get beaten up every day and thrown down the stairs and all that. So they've developed all these behavior issues due to brain injuries. But of course, if you ask them, have you ever had um, brain trauma, they would say no, because for them, in the situa situation they were living in, getting thrown down the stairs every day was just part of a daily, a right. daily life. Right. You know, they don't start to think, oh my God, that was not something that was normal and i'm i have symptoms because of that yeah well and I, it, the i i don't know that there's a whole lot of of stigma attached to it i mean i think it's just um something that you know if you don't know you don't if you don't know what you don't know then you don't know it right you know but also people fear anything that makes them vulnerable right because anybody could be standing on the sidewalk and a bus can pass by and the mirror could clock them in the head right as a past you know um that almost happened to me once somebody pulled me out of the way just in time and this was years before my my um brain brain uh bleeds um thing is it could happen to anybody mm -hmm. we are all vulnerable you know and so rather than pretending it doesn't 
exist and ignore it and not be prepared. It's better to acknowledge the fact that it could happen to you or somebody that you're very close to. Be prepared to know what to do. Be prepared to know who to contact. Be prepared to know people, the first names of people when you call the agencies and say, hi, uh, Donna, it's Patty. My son just got hit in the head with a, a rock, you know? Mm -hmm. um, well, and one of the other things that I'll, I'll, I'll throw in here is uh, even if uh, you have had the brain injury, whether you go to a neurologist or not and tell them if you go to your general, uh, your family physician and tell them or not, uh, there are just, and you know, I mean, I'm 45 years old and I've been going to uh, support groups. I've been going to AA meetings for nine years and there are support groups for traumatic brain injuries. I mean, there's, there's only one yeah. uh, per month in, in my, in, in my city, I should say, I, I live in Omaha and we have one support group, traumatic brain injury survivor support group, uh, every month. Um, I, I don't know if, uh, that will change. Um, but, uh, there, there is the support group. So even if you can't get any help and sometimes, you know, uh, me uh, medication can, can help different, there's all kinds of different therapies that can be beneficial to a traumatic brain injury survivor. And sometimes the best thing is be, is to go to one of these support groups and just say, my, my, you know, fill in the blank is so jacked up and it's really frustrating to me. And, you right. know, this is the only place I can tell anybody and they're going to understand. Okay, can I also put this in your, this idea in your brain now, Alliance in your state has one support group in your, in your uh, town city once a month. That doesn't mean you can't have your own support groups. You can have like one a week connect with people and say, um, we want to have more than that. Find out if the Alliance can uh, have more than that, like one a week or whatnot. And if they're not, if they're not able to support that, put your own together, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Connect online via Zoom. You can connect in person. Yeah. Um, it has to be a movement. And we're on the... People are just starting to talk about it, and they're starting to talk about it because of CTE and football. That's the only reason why the conversation has started. But now that it's started, we have to jump in. We're on the front lines. We're the ones who have to make the difference. We're the ones who are now going to start the ball rolling and make change. So grab it by whatever you grab things by. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the things I was uh, one of the anecdotal. Um, inputs i have uh i had a, a friend who uh he came he came to omaha this weekend because their parent his parents were in a car accident a couple of days ago and mm. uh bo both of his parents suffered traumatic brain injuries uh in the car accident and mm -hmm. it's you know they're they're uh they're elderly uh folks but i mean um just and he he lives in Seattle. I I moved to Seattle with him, and then I left Seattle, and he stayed in Seattle. Um, so, but he was saying in his Facebook post, he was bringing up traumatic brain injury and trauma trauma to the brain. And I was like, God, I mean, he this guy doesn't know anything about traumatic brain injuries, as far as I know. He, he's I mean, yeah. he's getting in edu in education, pretty you know, PDQ. Um, right, <laughs> and, exactly. Yeah, and. Uh, so uh, it's out there. The information is out there. And uh, if uh, you talk to, and if I've learned anything and if uh, Richard has taught me anything, if you talk to one neurologist and they have nothing useful to bring to the table, go to another one and go to another one after that and go to another. Right. After that. There's 62 exactly. in the state of Rhode Island, for God's sake. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, you can ask your doctors, um, go to uh, call hospitals, whatever, ask them to refer you to somebody who knows about brain injury because right. they're not all keeping it secret. One of them has that info. Right. You know? So if the doc <laughs> doctor you go to doesn't have a clue as to what it is, right. somebody can tell you who does. You right, know? exactly. All right, Richard. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on uh, this, this second time, and I recorded it this time, so hopefully we're not going to have to do our first interview, take three. Okay, well, no problem if you have to. I'm fine with that. It's always a joy to chat with you. All right, you too, Richard. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, I'll, I'll be in touch. All right, All right. Thanks. You bet.